Uh, we're going to continue today with Luke, in fact, we'll conclude today, Luke chapter 7. So if you would uh, please turn to Luke 7, we're going to do verses 36 to 50. Uh, I mentioned, uh, every week I've mentioned the fact that Luke chapter 7 has four vignettes, four, uh, four episodes in the life of Jesus with four specific people. Uh, and each one of them has a specific reason, and uh, we'll conclude with the fourth today. So let's just read verses 36 to 50 of Luke chapter 7. It reads this way. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, notice that the Pharisees thinking this thought, Jesus answers vocally, verbally, uh, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? That, by the way, is a, a, that's, that's a deeper statement than just, do you see this woman? In other words, do you have a visual contact with who I'm talking about? It, this, word, this verb see is much deeper than that here. Do you see this woman? Um, I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Uh, Father, this is a, um, this is a dramatic, uh, deep, glorious vignette, uh, pericope episode that we just read from the, the life of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what, it, to what it means and we will grow from it. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I mentioned uh, this is the fourth of four uh, episodes in this particular chapter of Luke, Encounters by Jesus. Among other things, what Jesus uh, and the Holy Spirit have, have done by putting this chapter together the way they have is to unpack who Jesus is. This is an issue that is very, very large throughout, uh, especially the gospels. And, and it's easy for us 
2,000 years later to miss the fact that when Jesus, what we celebrate here at Christmas, when Jesus becomes incarnate, when he becomes the God-man and walks the streets of Jerusalem and, and, and the places in Palestine, uh, there's been 400 years of silence among the Israelites, among the Jews. Uh, they have some sort of uh, understanding, some of them, of the, what the Old Testament was predicting, what the prophets predicted and so forth. Uh, but here comes uh, this person, uh, especially if you lived in Nazareth, you, you watched him grow up, you, you knew his parents, you saw him working with his father in a carpentry shop. Uh, now here is this same person who is out uh, doing things and saying things that are very, very unusual. So everybody from the Pharisees to the disciples are trying to figure out who is this man? Uh, what is he doing? You remember perhaps uh, the, the close of the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter of John, verses 30 and 31, is where John gives you his reasons for writing his Gospel and among other things, what they focus on is in order that you will know who this person is, in order that you will know who this is the Christ. And we've seen that question come up in these four passages, and we'll see it again today uh, in a big way. Uh, it's it's in underscoring who Jesus is, and also, uh, especially in this one, aspects of what it means to love uh, we've seen the first three episodes that focused more on faith. Now, this one focuses on faith also, but, it, but what we see in this one in particular is the proper response of faith and what, uh, what that leads to. The first person in here was a centurion. He was a Gentile. That's another aspect of all four of these, uh, these episodes in chapter seven. All four of them include people who the folks of the town would not expect to be high on the pecking order. They would not expect Jesus to be spending any time with them. Um, it's also for people who have no other place to go. Uh, the Gentile is locked out by, for several reasons. He's Roman, number one, and not Jewish. He's not, um, he's not a, a, certainly doesn't know the, the Pharisaical faith, if it can be called that. Uh, the, the widow of Nain, because she is a female, she's locked out. John the Baptist is literally locked out. He's, he's in prison awaiting his execution. And here we come again with, with a woman who is um, stated to be a sinful, sin-scarred woman. Now, if you read commentaries, a bunch of people will conjecture uh, that it's perhaps there's a prostitute, all that. Nobody has a clue what is meant by the fact that this is a sinful woman. Uh, and it doesn't matter, that's what counts. It doesn't matter whether we're gossips, whether we're murderers, uh, anything and everything in between is sin. We are born sinful people and therefore, just like this woman, we have no option. We have no place to go within ourselves. Uh, so this is going to be, uh, a bit of an interesting uh, take on this. This, this woman uh, is, is going to inject herself into a story. And what she's going to illustrate more than anything is the extravagant love 
that a forgiven sinner should have. That's why it puts every one of us into this woman's shoes versus the scornful contempt that a self-righteous person would have. In other words, we're doing the parable of the prodigal all over again. Uh, the woman is, is of course, um, equivalent in that sense to the prodigal son. The Pharisee is, is uh, equivalent to the elder, but uh, we'll see that as we move on. We'll, we'll first look at just verses 36, or excuse me, 36 and 37. Uh, especially the beginning, this is an extraordinary uh, beginning to a dinner party. Uh, the Pharisee, whose name is Simon, we learn in verse 40, invites Jesus to a meal in his home. That is not unique. Uh, the Pharisees consider themselves to be the top of, of the religious pecking order. They are, they're the ones that were uh, educated in, in uh, scripture to, to, to the extent they were. And um, they want to find out more than anybody else. They want to find out who this guy is walking around performing miracles because he's beginning to show them up. He's beginning to say things that contradict what they're saying and what keeps them up on their pedestal. So he's beginning, in other words, to be seen as a threat. So they want to know who this guy is. So this Pharisee named Simon invites Jesus uh, to a meal, Jesus accepts the invitation. That also, it's not unusual. Uh, Jesus accepted every invitation he ever got uh, virtually and would uh, had no trouble whatsoever eating with sinners. That's one of the things that was driving the Pharisees crazy. How in the world uh, would somebody who represented themselves as a rabbi, which is what they assumed he was, uh, how could he be doing these sorts of things, saying these, these kinds of things? Uh, the assumption that the Pharisee has, that Simon has, is that he should not be forgiving the sins of people. Uh, you shouldn't be going around forsaking or forgiving sinners, but caring for those righteous law keepers, aka the Pharisees, people like Simon. Uh, we're the ones, Jesus, we're the ones you ought to come to and sit down with and celebrate with because we, after all, have done it. We have crossed the threshold. We have earned uh, your respect and, and so forth and so on. Uh, so Jesus, under those conditions, arrives at the man's house. Now, if we have a little bit of, of time, I'd, I'll just suggest to you, if you want to read the first eight verses of Genesis chapter 18, uh, that is an event when, when that happens in the life of Abraham when, when a couple of folks, now they happen to be uh, very powerful folks, but they come, they show up unexpectedly at Abraham's abode and you see what Abraham and Sarah go through. You can, you can see him fumbling around saying, oh my goodness, we, where does the China? I forgot where we packed the China. He, he's running around and he's, and he's going through all of these uh, issues that was expected of people who wanted to honor a, a visiting guest. The kiss of greeting, water for the feet. In this case, Simon would have had a slave uh, handy to wash Jesus's feet, olive oil for his hands, and perhaps anointing his head would have been assumed. That's how you honored someone who was a guest in your home, especially a rabbi. What Jesus meets instead is humiliation. Uh, this man, Simon, does none of those things. Then the biggest surprise of all there in the first two verses, a woman of the city who was a sinner, the verse says, uh, 
she came as well. She wasn't invited. Now that is not as odd as it seems. This is going to be um, a high level dinner when a family in, in uh, Israel in those days, when a family met for family meals, they sat down. If you had a special guest, if you had a, uh, an unusual dinner party for someone, you reclined. You didn't sit down, you, you laid down with your head up by, uh, up by the table. So your feet are out that way. Um, and um, this is uh, normally those kinds of events were held. If you were of the status of a Pharisee, you would hold those kinds of meals in a courtyard. You're not inside, you're, you're in a courtyard with semi-access and it was perfectly acceptable for anybody and everybody who wished to come in off the street without being invited, without being, being known and sit and watch and listen to the conversation. Uh, imagine what that would do to your normal, uh, the dinner parties we would have today. If uh, 10 random people that you've never seen before just came walking through the back door and, and said, don't bother me. I'm just going to just listen on the conversation. Uh, that's, that is really a, an unusual uh, event, but that's what this, this, so far this woman has not done anything unusual except for the fact that she is known to be a sinner. So she's carrying sort of this, um, this red flag around with her. Uh, but the fact that she is there is not a problem. That was one way, by the way, they handled the poor of the, of the town. If the poor people knew that there was a big party like this going on, they too would come. And if there was something left over at the end of the, of the time that the gathering occurred, that food would be distributed to them. So it was also a method to, to handle uh, helping the poor. Uh, so, so far, nothing uh, that uh, out, of, out of the ordinary has happened in terms of the, of the gathering itself, other than the fact that Simon the Pharisee was unusually rude. Uh, he has not honored his guest to the extent that he should have. Now, in verses 37, second half of 37 and, and 38, is where I think the meat of this episode occurs. Uh, 37, behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that she, he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him, this is verse 38. This is a key, key verse in this episode. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Um, this woman, again, is a known sinner. <clears throat> I don't know what sins doesn't, doesn't really matter. We don't know her name. She will not speak one single word throughout this entire episode because her actions are speaking much, much louder than her words would have spoken. And that too is, is a very significant lesson to be learned. Every Christian's actions speak louder than their words. Uh, she brings an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, a lot of commentators point to this uh, somewhat um, unusual Greek word and they prefer oil to ointment. Ointment tends to be, we think of a semi-solid thing, a, a salve as opposed to a perfume. Most of the commentators think it was uh, that a better 
uh, choice would be a perfumed oil, a liquid, not a solid of any sort. Uh, what uh, she carries out there in verse 38 uh, to, a, to an incredible depth is great care, great humility, great devotion, and great emotion. Again, think of the bigger picture. What this episode is, is indicative of is, is how a, a forgiven sinner should respond to Jesus Christ. Uh, she, she's crying tears. Tears of joy, perhaps, that, that she, she happened to find out some way or another that Jesus was attending this, this particular meal. Uh, so she finds him. Maybe it's the realization that her sins have been forgiven. I like to think that it's both. Uh, she, she is aware of who Jesus is. She's apparently heard him speak. Uh, perhaps uh, they've even interacted. There's no reason to think that, but uh, maybe she's at least heard that her sins can be forgiven, if not have been forgiven through, uh, through Jesus. So she is, is joyful. Now, when it says her tears. This is an this is an unusual word that's used here in the Greek for her crying. It's the same word that's used for rain that rain showers. This isn't just a uh, you know a, some sort of one single tear running down. Uh, this woman is crying. This woman is 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 emoting uh, prolifically, if you if you will, uh, significant crying. Uh, she undoes her hair in order to wipe the tears from Jesus' feet. That act would have gotten her divorced. The Talmud says if a woman lets her hair down in public, her husband can divorce her. Uh, some, uh, some aspects of, of uh, Phariseeism and, and uh, the religions of those days, a woman was not even supposed to let her hair be seen in public. It has something to do with the passages in, in Corinthians about uh, keeping the, the hair covered, the head covered, and so forth and so on. This, what she has done there is an incredibly unique act that would have her scorned and vilified, and she could not care less. What you're seeing is this woman's heart. Uh, she undoes her hair and wipes her tears from Jesus' feet. She kisses Jesus's feet. Again, the, the Greek that's used for this, this word kiss, uh, there are kisses all through scripture. Uh, this particular word is the same kiss that the father gives the prodigal when he comes to meet him. If you remember, the, pro, the father's looking for his son uh, probably day after day after day for weeks or months or whatever. And when he sees him, he hikes up his his skirts, tunics, whatever, and runs through the village and, and falls on his son and kisses him. That's, that's, that's not just a kiss. Uh, that's, uh, that's, it's very powerful what this woman is doing. Same word is found, by the way, uh, in the book of Acts when Paul leaves the church in Ephesus. It's the, he spent more time in Ephesus than any other place, and the elders accompany Paul to the outskirts of the village or wherever and they have that, that in very uh, intense uh, farewell with Paul, uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 37. And it's that same word that's found here. The word translated kiss in other places uh, can be uh, something much different than this, but this one is intensive. 
Uh, this Again, I, I want you to feel this woman's uh, joy and gratitude and her completely, uh, her complete willingness to forget all kinds of social graces and uh, rules of etiquette. She is wiping his feet, she is kissing him, and she is anointing him. And these steps, uh, the tense of the Greek verbs there, they, they prolong them. This is, this is something that she is doing. This isn't a quick uh, thing that, that she is doing. Now, she came with no water, so she's not anointing Jesus's feet here. Her assumption would have been that Simon would have done that, that he should have done that. That was his assumed of him, but she had not done that. So she is not bringing this uh, ointment or perfume, oil, whatever, uh, in order to anoint his feet. She didn't bring water with her. She didn't have towels. Uh, she's, uh, she's simply anointing his feet. Uh, she arrives, there he is. She knew Jesus was a friend of sinners. And she goes to him. She's overcome with emotion. She's overwhelmed by grace. And she poured her perfume uh, on Jesus' feet. She is willing, in other words, to take the position of a slave. She's doing what a slave would have done. Again, doesn't bother her. She's trusting Jesus not to use her or abuse her, perhaps as men had. Again, that's assuming something that the scriptures don't tell us, but it's, uh, there are certain nuances that might go that direction. Uh, she is giving herself to Jesus and in a, a profusion of gratitude and love for, for the fact that she's a sinner and here is forgiveness. Now, verses 39 and 40 we meet the elder brother, the prideful contempt by Simon the Pharisee. 39 and 40, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw all of this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answers him, Simon, I got something to say to you. And he says, say it, teacher. I'd love to know the, the tone, the nuance of that response by Simon. Uh, in, in 39, maybe revealing the motive for the dinner that Simon wants to, to, to find out. Is this man the prophet that he claims to be? Uh, two types of, of sinners we've run into in these couple of verses here. There's, uh, there's a lawbreaker. The woman clearly has, is a sinner. Um, there's a law keeper who is equally a sinner. Uh, that's Simon the Pharisee. So uh, only one of them believed in, in God's grace to sinners, and it wasn't the Pharisee. By the way, the grasping that we have of God's grace is in, indicated often by how we respond to other sinful people. We'll see that as a major teaching point of this passage as we, we go on. Uh, if I don't, th if if I think I'm such a great person uh, that God, uh, God, you ought to be thrilled that I'm in in your camp, uh, then I'm going to look down on other people who have grievous sins who don't have that kind of attitude. That's an in indication that I don't understand a thing about the grace of God, which comes to me freely. I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. I'm not even looking for it. As Paul says in, in Ephesians 2, I'm even dead 
in my trespasses and sins. I couldn't look for it even if I wanted to look for it. Until God gives me a new heart, I won't be looking for it and I won't be appreciating. This woman has every indication that God has given her a new heart. Um, so uh, Jesus uh, knows Simon's heart and he says at the end of verse 40, I've got a couple of things we need to talk about here. Um, but don't miss that those couple of verses to me are the centerpiece of this passage. The woman's uh, absolute uh, vulnerability <laughs> and love for Jesus. She runs into him and she gives herself completely uh, forgetting any kind of, of cultural uh, implications to any of that. She knows the source of grace. She knows her need. She knows her own heart. And she's gone to him uh, like a beacon versus Simon who does not. Um, the other sort of uh, tangent to this is imagine how we would all be if we understood the fact that God really can uh, forgive sin and grace. We say it and we, we know it. But how would your life be changed if you felt it to the degree this, this uh, woman does? I'm not, I'm not pushing feelings, but I am saying that, that uh, it bothers me when I get around Christians uh, who, who can give me, uh, they can quote from various creeds and documents and scripture or whatever, uh, but they seem utterly non-emotive, non-affected, uh, uh, it, it's no big deal. I, I don't understand those two things and how they can be together. We need to examine the fact that we are deeply scarred people just like this woman and that if we are a believer, Jesus has canceled all of the debt. Interestingly, that's the segue into verse 41 here. Jesus is going to speak to Simon. He's going to give him a little bitty parable. Uh, just a, a very simple little thing about a couple of debtors. One of the debtors owes 10 times more than the other. He says to Simon, imagine that two debtors, one of them owes this amount, one of them owes 10 times that amount. And the money lender, here's the surprise, virtually all of the parables of Jesus will have a shock value to them somewhere. Here is the shock value to this one. The money lender forgives them both. I. Uh, wipes out the debt of both of them. So Simon focuses on the size of the two debts. Jesus says, what do you think, uh, which one of you think is going to be happier about all of this? And Simon says, well, I suppose uh, for whom, uh, verse 43, he canceled the larger debt. He says to him, yes, you judge rightly. Now notice that word suppose. Um, Jesus, as he always did with these encounters with Pharisees, Sadducees, and, and people of that ilk, he turns the tables on them completely. And I think Simon has, has just figured out he's been had. Uh, and he's, he's said, okay, yeah, well, that's pretty simple. When I, I, I suppose it's the guy with the larger debt. And he's, he's trying to sort of cut corners and, and cut things a little tight. Uh, He's focusing on the size of the two debt, which, which is in this story indicative of the size of the two sins. Which of the two people has the greater sin? The woman who comes in or Simon the Pharisee? What Jesus wants him to focus on is the radical forgiveness. 
Jesus wants to say, can you believe it? He, he forgave both of these people. Again, the lessons of it. Less aware of our sinfulness, that's Simon, the more we will feel we do not need forgiveness. The more self-righteous we are, the less love we will give to others. Simon never, ever wavers in this encounter. Uh, the whole time he is, he is uh, involved in this scenario. Important question. Verse 42, second, second part of 42. Which debtor will love the money lender more? Notice that question carefully from Jesus. He, he, Jesus doesn't say, uh, which one do you think is... Um, it goes away happier. Which one does this, does that? He said, which one, Simon, do you think is going to love the money lender more? Simon supposes correctly. Uh, Jesus was expected by Pharisees to apologize for the woman's behavior. What Simon was expecting from Jesus, especially when she, she assaults him, if you will, with her love, Simon is probably sitting there embarrassed, thinking, oh my goodness, if, the, if this woman of all women, if she wants to come into the meal, that's okay, but go over by the wall, go over by the corner of the, of the courtyard, sit under the palm tree, whatever, just don't inject yourself into this, and you've taken over the meal. So what Simon is expecting from Jesus is that he's going to... Uh, address this, this scenario. Instead, he humiliates Simon in front of his brother Pharisees. There are other people at the meal, right? At the end of this story, you see that. Um, verse 49, that those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this guy? Uh, Simon is not here by his himself here. He's got uh, his brother Pharisees who are sitting there and Jesus has humiliated Simon in front of them. Now there's a nuance to that uh, that I think is, is um, entirely accurate, even though the text does not bring it out specifically. Jesus, in essence, has stepped in front of the woman to protect her. He has taken on the anger that she would have received upon himself. This is precisely what happens at the cross. When Jesus goes to the cross, he takes on the grief, the pain, the suffering, uh, the death, the hell that you and I would have had in our place. This is, uh, of course, famously, uh, thrillingly, uh, theologically talked about as the double imputation. When Jesus goes to the cross, uh, not only does he take our sins upon himself, but he then imputes his righteousness uh, to us. And this is, uh, this is a vignette that I would argue you can see that here. It's nuanced. It's extremely nuanced. As you move through the gospels and you move through the three years of Jesus's ministry, uh, it's less and less nuanced until the Pharisees have no, they're, they're not even hiding the fact that they intend to kill Jesus. And by the time you get to the cross, all of these things become no nuance at all. But I think, and I would argue here, that very subtly what Jesus has done is to step between this woman who would have been uh, degraded, perhaps uh, thrown out of the Pharisee's house due to what 
uh, her actions, what she has done. So in verses 44 to 48, we see a divine dressing down. Jesus is going to get to Simon uh, in a pretty significant way. Verses 44 to 46 say, then turning, now notice he turns toward the woman when he's speaking to Simon. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Now, again, it's, it's pretty obvious that Simon sees the woman. He couldn't really miss it. Uh, they're, they're reclining at a, at a dinner table um, and she's, she has gone through a, an, an excessive, uh, in Simon's eyes, an excessive degree of emotive uh, interaction with Jesus. Uh, Jesus said, do you see this, this woman? And then he says, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You, Simon, gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You, verse 46, did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment or perfume, aromatic. Uh, so what Jesus uh, pulls the... the uh, cover off of Simon here, uh, again, continuing the attack of, of Simon in his own house. And what Jesus is saying is, you, you have ignored this woman. Uh, he says, do you see this woman? He's, he's, you know, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, did you not see what just went on here? Did you not see this woman's heart? Uh, did you not see the degree of, of, uh, thankfulness that has come from her because of forgiveness. Um, but he's forcing her to look at her. He, he's, he's not going to let Simon off the hook here. And he says, I entered your house. You gave me no water. She washed my feet. You gave me no kiss. She hadn't stopped kissing me. You didn't mount, anoint my head with oil. She anointed my feet with perfume. Verses 47 and 48 the clincher. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Uh, dramatic. Uh, if, if, if they weren't before, if she wasn't aware of it before, there's no reason that she would uh, have had a personal one-on-one audience with Jesus. I suppose it's possible uh, but at any rate, he wants her to be crystal clear about this and he wants Simon to be crystal clear about this when he turns to her and says, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is something very, very radical. Jesus has been doing wonders. He's been raising people from the dead. We saw the centurion who had the, the servant on the edge of death who lived. We saw the widow of Nain whose who's, uh, son only son had died and Jesus raises him from the dead. Now he's forgiving sins. Uh, even Jesus speaking to the woman is a violation of, of what the Pharisees considered uh, appropriate. So it concludes in verses 49 and 50. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
again, these Pharisees are, are feeling Jesus out. They're trying to find out more about him. And, and Simon got more than he bargained for. Uh, and all of the Pharisees who are gathered at either reclining at this table or gathered in the group that is in this courtyard scene or wherever they happen to be, uh, they are seeing, but they blow it. Time and time and time again, this sort of event happens with Pharisees and they don't get it. Jesus's words fail to penetrate their hearts. To the woman, of course, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So I mentioned a couple of, um, of takeaways from this, from this passage. One of them, of course, have Jesus's words penetrated your heart? Have they penetrated my heart? They need to keep penetrating. Uh, the, the notion that we have, uh, again, of, of so often emphasized in evangelistic uh, circles uh, to some degree of, of uh, understanding, but it can be misconstrued if we think there should have been one event, there should have been one moment in time uh, when I know that, that I was over here when it began and I was at here when it ended. Uh, I have no trouble with that. Uh, many people, the majority of Christians do not have Damascus Road experiences. Uh, some do. Uh, God works in mysterious ways. He works uniquely with every single one of his children. Uh, but the point is, even if you have a Damascus Road experience, What's expected is growing in grace, uh, daily growing in grace through the scriptures, uh, through the ordinary means of grace, prayer, uh, worship, all of those kinds of things, the sacraments and so forth and so on, uh, so that Jesus's words never stop penetrating. It's not that, that I, yeah, I remember one day when, when I opened and a certain passage really spoke to me. That's wonderful. That should, should happen, frankly, the majority of the times, if not every time, you open scripture. But the point is opening scripture and following and reading and meditating, uh, attending good Bible-believing and teaching churches and so forth and so on. This, this is the, the mechanism where you build up a knowledge of Jesus's words and the fact that they penetrate so that's the first lesson that I think uh, comes through here. The woman, has, there's no question that she knows who Jesus is. Uh, Simon the Pharisee does not, uh, and nor do the other Pharisees in the midst here. They're wondering about how in the world could, could he make the statement he made. Uh, the second point that, that I would make would be to focus on Jesus. Uh, not on other people that we think are sinful people, not on other people that perhaps we think have sinned against us. That's not, that's, both of those things are, they're not irrelevant, but uh, that's not where, where the, the rubber meets the road. Uh, the rubber meets the road on at Jesus, and we need to keep focus uh, there. Uh, and do what the Pharisees are doing, frankly. Uh, delve into Jesus more deeply. Try to, try to learn more and more about this Jesus uh, as we grow in our faith. And again, I would I'd go back to the flavel uh, indicators there. You, you see that very, very clearly when you bump into an issue that is bigger than you are. Uh, when we con confront death, it is bigger 
and it is inexplicable in one sense, uh, but the tendency to think, how could God allow this to happen? Uh, that is a, in, in one sense, um, uh, it's a very common expression that you hear around death and dying or suffering, whatever, uh, but it's not a good biblical statement. If, if I know what scripture teaches, uh, I know what is going to happen at, at, one, at some point or other. And if I know that and, and those words have penetrated before I engage that event in my life, I will be better off for it. Uh, here's the third and final point. Uh, how do you feel about Jesus' suffering for you on the cross? Uh, have, have you and I come to the point that this uh, woman, and, and by the way, we don't know the name of this town either. We don't know where all this is going down. Uh, but I want to conclude with uh, reading a couple of verses from the opening of the second chapter of Ephesians. Chapter two of Ephesians begins this way. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That is a literal statement. Uh, that, that's not hyperbole. That's not uh, what, what is intended by Paul there uh, is not that sin has, has sort of wounded me or made me gimpy. Uh, that I can come overcome it in some way or another. I am dead in my trespasses and sins in which I once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's this, the woman in, at the end of Luke 7 is, is well aware that she has done all of those things. But God, Paul says, as he begins verse four of Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. This woman is a perfect illustration of somebody that, that is grieved over their sin, knows that they are sinful people, knows that they can't atone for it themselves, but has understood the grace of God. And her exuberant, uh, genuine uh, culture, disconnected love that she just flows all over Jesus. I, this this uh, concluding episode is going to make all the Pharisees very angry but it should make any one of us very, very glad because we are exactly in that woman's footsteps and that same grace that she explodes with love for Jesus should be our response as well. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, uh, we see this passage and it's, it's easy to get caught up into the uh, particulars and the, and the nuances of it. But what is, what is shown is really very basic and simple. Uh, 
I am a sinner. You have saved me, not because I looked for it or earned it or deserved it, because I was dead. I was so sinful. I was dead in my sins. But you, in your love, have opened my heart, indeed replaced my heart, and have given me the love of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins and his perfect righteousness. He has come between me and my father so that my sins are no longer even seen when associated with me. Father, that, that truth should, should overwhelm all of us. And from this day forward, go out and send us out with greater love uh, for everything in this world, but especially for you and for your son, Jesus Christ, in the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.